0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, man. I sold that one. Um, all right. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Romans verse by verse. And if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Romans chapter 12 today, verses 3 through 8. We're talking about spiritual gifts, which is a controversial subject uh, a lot of the times. And I want you to brace yourselves because I am about to say... The most controversial thing I believe that I've ever spoken from this stage. Are you ready? I believe that LeBron James, (laughs) wait for it, I didn't even say it, might be the greatest basketball player of all time. I said it. I said it. My email is grace.org, Bring it on, right? Now, not yet. Not yet. I, I think at this point, I'm still putting Michael Jordan at number one. But I think LeBron is quickly moving up the chain. And after the end of his career, he could be there. And LeBron James, one of the things that makes him such a special basketball player is that he can do everything. He can score, he can pass, he can defend, he is a basketball Swiss army knife. But the thing that makes LeBron so good can also become his detriment. And if you don't know anything about basketball, all you need to know is this. Because LeBron James can do it all, he often does try to do it all. And then what you'll see is the rest of his teammates, who also have gifts, who also have talents, are standing around watching him, and it can end up hurting their team's success. Now, you compare that with the Golden State Warriors, who are not just a great player, they are an entire great team. And as much as it hurts my heart to say this, because I'm a Thunder fan, and I hate them in the name of Jesus, if that's a possible thing to do, they're an amazing team to watch. And as you watch them out on the basketball floor, the way the ball moves from player to player, and and the way that they, they read one another, it's just like this beautiful symphony on the hardwood. And you watch this team play. Now, here's what's interesting. In the last four years, three of the last four years, it's been the Golden State Warriors beating the LeBrons in the, national champion, in the championship game in the, world, in the uh, NBA Finals. They're the ones who have been hoisting up the trophy, not LeBron and, and his team. And as they play as a team, they've found themselves with more success. Now, LeBron may go down as the greatest player of all time, but the Warriors have a chance to become the greatest team of all time. And as you look forward, which team, which, which dynamic do you think will bring more joy? Being a singularly great player or being a part of something bigger than yourself, being part of a great team? And as Jesus followers, you and I, we can, we can slip into similar dynamics where it's easy for us to think that we're kind of a one-stop spiritual shop where, where, where one of us or one person in the church is just supposed to do it all, right? They're the spiritual LeBron or as I call them, Bible man right? Which is apparently, Google Images just continues to provide endless entertainment. Uh, and, And this, and you can have one person who thinks, they do it all, right? This one person, they'll preach, they'll lead the worship, they'll run the Sunday school, they'll mow the grass, they will do everything that needs to be done at the church while the rest of us stand around watching spiritual LeBron do his thing. And I believe that is not what we've been called to as believers that each of us have a gift. You know, I, I have, I believe the Lord gave me the gift of, of preaching and teaching, and I can use that to this capacity, but I can't do everything in this church. A couple weeks ago, when the heat went out in my office, um, I, trust me, you don't want any me anywhere near our boiler room, right? All I can do is further damage. So I called the phone, up on the phone, Robert Glick, who is our deacon of facilities, and let him use his gift of warming my little heiny, right? And Robert did that to the glory of, of God. Now, we have been called in Romans 12 what we're called to is that each of us each of us have been given gifts have been given talents have been given passions have been given spheres of influence and the word to use those as a part of the body of Christ and when we do that just like the Golden State Warriors out on the floor it can become a beautiful thing to watch as we're zipping the ball around Justin preaches gives it over to Jeff he's leading worship then we got Robert over there fixing the heat and we got every part of the body doing what they're called to do in love and showing the world the beauty of our Savior. Now, as I say that, you might be sitting there going, okay, that's great, Justin, but what's my role? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know how I fit into this bigger thing. Well, I'm glad you asked, because today, this is exactly what Paul is going to walk us through. In Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, we're going to look at these spiritual gifts that he has given to each of us to use for the greater good, to use for the benefit of the body. But what we saw last week, And this is important because some basic math tells us that verses 3 through 8 come after verses 1 through 2, right? And we can't forget the foundation that we're laying this upon. And what we saw in verses 1 through 2 is that Paul calls us into a life of worship. That our entire lives are to be given and to reflect the the value and supremacy of our God in in the face of Jesus. And the way that we do that, he said in verse 1 and 2, is to present ourselves to God as living sacrifices. That we say, God, my body, my mind, everything about me is yours. And it's what you want, not what I want. And there can be no genuine, fruitful, effective ministry until we first surrender to him. And it's the life that's surrendered to him that now can be used by him for serving other people. If you're trying to figure out what your spiritual gifts are, how you can effectively serve the Lord, it won't happen until you first surrender to him. I, I talked about this last week. I saw this in my own life just a few years ago as I was trying to decide whether to be a, a pastor that the church had just recently called me and, to, to consider or what I had spent five years preparing for, which was to be an elementary school teacher. And God throws this curveball at me. I go, wait a second. This doesn't make sense in the way I see things. But it was only when I surrendered to him, and I remember doing this a specific point in time in my shower in the evening, I finally looked up to God and said, God, what is it that you want? I belong to you. My life is yours. And it was only when I surrendered to him that I started to see things clearly. And the path forward became made known. And lucky for you, I chose pastor. (laughs) Kidding. We're going to talk about humility in a second. Don't worry. Um, if we're giving ourselves to him, we will start to effectively love and serve others. We talked about last week in verse two, this inward transformation that starts to happen. And as surely as the caterpillar goes through metamorphosis and becomes a butterfly, we will begin to change. Now we know that that's a slow and messy process, right? You've seen planet earth. It's, not, it's a messy, slow thing for a caterpillar to become a butterfly. And it's a slow, messy process for us to grow and become more like Jesus. But the promise is, as surely as Christ was raised from the dead, we have this new life inside of us. And from the inside out, he's going to transform us to look more like Jesus so that we will serve more like him, we will love more like him, we will speak more like him, we'll act more like him. But in order for that to happen, what we're going to see in verses 3 through 8 this morning, we need a couple things. We need a right attitude. We need a right relationship. And we need right ministry. Right attitude, right relationship, and right ministry. Let's dive into the text together. First of all, right attitude. That we are called into a humble unity as a measure of the body of Christ. The the place, the part we play in this body needs to be met with humility. He starts out with the word for. Remember, that's a connecting word. So he's going to, again, connect verses 1 and 2 with 3. In light of us giving ourselves to Jesus, offering our bodies to him, and this is why, this is, this is the connector word that, that he uses to, only the consecrated life can lead to this kind of an attitude. Now, what attitude is he calling us into? He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He goes, don't get cocky. See yourself with sober judgment. What we're, when we think of sober, we think of not being drunk, right? Being in possession of our faculties. Thinking in the light of reality. And he says, I want you to think about yourself in a sober way. So, so what does that look like? He says, that does not mean that you walk around going, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, right? And you're thinking you're all that in a bag of potato chips when you're not. I love you, but you're not. And then so he says, I want you to see yourself in, in sober judgment. Now, so how is it that we are supposed to see each other? Not arrogantly, the universe does not revolve around me, so how am I supposed to see this? He says, to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He says, God gave each of us a measure, an amount of faith. Now, we're going to pause on that, because what he's not saying here, the context, he's not talking about saving faith. Because saving faith, is not about a different amount. Saving faith is all about an object. It's do you believe in Jesus or not? period. What he's talking about here is that God has called each and every one of us into something different. He's given us different gifts. He's given us different spheres of of influence and relationship. He's given us different talents and passions. He's called us to different things. And what he's saying here is that we got to see ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has given us. So here's the beautiful thing that he's saying here. Whatever God's called you into, whatever road he's invited you in to walk, He will give you the faith to depend on him, to see you through. And just like a child, we trust our Father to carry us through the life that he's given to us. He will never demand something that he does not also supply. So the attitude Paul's calling us to is what I would call true humility. And true humility means to be satisfied with the place that God has given you. So we don't want to get too arrogant and think that we occupy more space than, than he's given us. But we also don't want to get insecure or discontent and, and be sat, dissatisfied with the place he's given us. See, so the place he has you, the person he's making you, is exactly who he's called you to be. And there's a couple of ramifications here that, it, that, this, that this takes place with. First of all, this eliminates boasting in self. There's nothing to brag about if, if every good thing in my life is something that somebody else gave to me. And the only thing that I deserve is wrath and judgment and God's condemnation. Anything beyond that is a free gift that I got to acknowledge. I do not, he does not owe me and that I cannot boast about. So this eliminates boasting in self. It also exalts boasting in Christ. Why? Because he's the one that gave it to me. The spiritual gifts that we're going to talk about today don't belong to you. They were given to you freely. We are channels through which they operate. And so they glorify the one through whom they were given. All the glory goes back to Jesus and then finally, this extends dependence on others. It extends dependence on others. We're going to see in this, in this next verse, the call that we are a part of a body. We are not the body ourselves. Point number two, a right relationship. So we have a right attitude, which is one of humility. The right relationship that we're called into is a humble diversity as a member of the body. We're a part of a group of people that look and act a lot different than one another. But there's a beauty and a unity in that diversity. Verse four, for as in one body, he's going to compare this to our physical bodies. As in one body, we have many members and, and the members do not all have the same function. Different parts of our body do different different things. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So he's showing us there's two different things going on here. We are individuals. In, salvation doesn't come with a group discount, right? Well, we're saved individually by placing faith in Jesus. But what we're called into is something bigger and more beautiful than just ourselves. We're not Lone Ranger Christians. We are called to be responsible to and dependent on other members of his body. And it's easy for us to think either too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves. And he says, don't fall into either pit. Don't go with the mentality of, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. But don't go the other way and go, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. Either one. Here's the problem. You've got your eyes on yourself. You're not the the point of reference. Get your eyes off yourself and put them on Jesus. And there's a couple of principles that, that come out of these verses that we need to remember this morning. First of all, don't, bow, don't boast, right? Don't toot your own horn as this rhinoceros is doing. See what I, yeah, you didn't get it at first, but now you're there, okay. So don't boast, don't brag about what you have, but also don't show false humility because C- that's just a form of pride as well. And, and I remember seeing this early on when I was preaching and someone would come up to me after the service and try to give me like a compliment to thank me. And I, I felt like I'm not supposed to take any kind of compliments. So I said, no! Oh, sorry, guys. Uh, I said, I'm a worm, right? I can do nothing. I'm a sinner, deserving nothing but wrath. Do not thank me. It's all God. It's not me. Get your eyes off of me. Quit saying thank you. Now, that just is weird and, and puts the other person off, right? It's not helpful. And so what I've learned to do, somebody comes up and says, man, thank you for speaking truth to me today. I just, I just simply say, man, I am privileged to be able to be used by God to encourage others thank you for encouraging me. And it's just a big old encouragement fest. We're hugging and happy and stuff. They're encouraging me. I'm encouraging them. So we can appreciate and and welcome that encouragement, but recognize where the gift's coming from. So don't get cocky, but don't be falsely humble either. The next thing here is not to complain. Don't complain. Where I go, man, as we were like drawing, you know, picking teams and drawing the who's going to get what gift. Ah, man, I got the gift of giving. Dang it. You know, I really wanted another kind of gift. Listen, each member of the body is crucial. God has given each of us gifts, and every single one of those gifts is necessary if we are to function as a healthy body. And I'm not just saying that to try to be like condescending, and we kind of got that spirit here where everybody gets a particip- participation trophy, right? And God loves you too. No, this is, this is what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 12. The eye can never say to the hands, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And this is what he says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. So some of the parts of the body, we go, we don't even know why it exists. God says, I do. And trust me, your body can't be healthy without it. I'm going to go out on a limb and bet that most of you did not wake up this morning thanking God for your natural killer cells. Did anybody start your morning like, God, I just want to praise you for my natural killer cells. Once again, they've been effective to the name of Jesus. Gloria, Dios. right? No, probably not. But did you know that these little things, these are crazy. These things are helping you survive daily without you even knowing it. They're like the secret police of your immune system. And they're going in on this search and destroy mission. And they're taking out cancer cells, virally infected cells. They're doing work and not as much of a thanks out of you all, you ingrates, right? So so, so even though we don't recognize, I didn't even know until this week that these things existed. But these natural killer cells are keeping my body healthy and alive. And in the same way, there are are people in the body of Christ today that God is using to keep the body healthy and alive, and I'm going to mention a few of them in, in a little bit here, that we don't even know about. Things going on behind the scenes in our church body that we don't see, but God is using to keep us healthy and alive next principle that we see out of this is do not look down on others. Do not look down on someone else think your gift is better than them. But on the other hand, don't be jealous and don't be envious of somebody else's gift, right? You want the ice cream cone, God gave you a popsicle. Deal with it. Popsicles are awesome, right? And so we have to be content with what it is that God has given us and not be jealous of someone else's gifts or talents or or abilities, the only way we're going to find joy in our life is to be content with the lot that he gave us, who God created us to be. And I've tried this before, it is miserable trying to be somebody else. So use him for example, mostly because I wanted to use this picture again, he missed it last time. So Robbie Smithwick, our, our beautiful youth intern, A youth director, sorry, sorry, power where powers do. So Robbie, you know, he grew up this phenomenal athlete, Gatorade player of the year in high school, can fly through the air like a silver bullet, or maybe I should say a shooting star. Um, Robbie w- has this amazing voice. He can play the guitar. He's got this beautiful hair. I think I might have a crush on Robbie. I don't know for sure, but it's a, it's a bromance in the making. But we, uh, so, so Robbie, God has given Robbie these gifts and talents and abilities, and I can't look at Robbie and go, man, I wish I was Robbie. Like I can barely waddle across the stage, let alone play football, let alone be the Gatorade player of the year. I can't sing, I can't play the guitar like Robbie, I'm a different person. I can't try to be Robbie, I gotta be me. One of the great things about the internet today is you can there's a lot of podcasts and YouTube available where you can see all these amazing preachers across the nation and even across the world. But one of the horribly depressing things about that is to go, man, I am not them. And I look at someone like John Piper or John MacArthur or Matt Chandler, some of these guys that I love and I listen to every week, and I look at what they have, the abilities they have, the sphere of influence they have. I mean, there are millions of people listening and watching their messages online and in person, thousands of people attending their churches. And it could be easy to go, God, that's what I want to be. I want to be Matt Chandler. I want to be John Piper. But we see clearly in the Word that's not what we're called to. Remember last week we said in verse 2 of this chapter, he said, do not be conformed to this world And that word meant an outward conformity. He said, don't try to dress up for Halloween like something you're not. You're not this world. And I would also apply, you're not the person sitting next to you in this row. You're you. And so if I try to dress up for Halloween, I mean, I do look pretty good like Robbie, I think. And I also, I could could try to be John Piper, right? But that's not who I am. That's not who God has made me to be. And so I got to let him do his inward transforming work to make Justin be who he's called Justin to be, with his gifts and talents and abilities. So a right attitude is of the humility, a right relationship, knowing we are part of the body, just a part, and the exact part God made us to be. And then finally, right service, right service. There's a humble obedience we're called to as a minister to the body, a humble obedience. He says in verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us Use them. God in his grace has given each of us a gift. He says, use the gifts I've given you. So so listen, there is no such thing as an obedient follower of Jesus that's not serving other people. That's not a thing. If I love Jesus, if I'm following him, I will be serving other people. That's what my life will start to look like. And listen, this is for all of us. This is for every single one of us. Every single one of us is a minister, a servant to the other people in the body and to the lost in our world. Ephesians 4 tells us this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Those are kind of the leaders of the church. Now, notice what he says next. He doesn't say it's the leaders that do all the ministering. Verse 12, their responsibility, the responsibility of the leaders is to do what? To equip God's people... To do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. The leaders are here to train and equip every person in the body to do God's work. All of us are called into this. This is what he also says in 1 Corinthians 12. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Every single... If you're a part of the body of Christ, if you placed your faith in Christ, you've been given these spiritual gifts. And why does he give us these spiritual gifts? So we can help each other, he says. The reason we've been given these gifts is for the benefit of others, or as the ESV says, for the common good. Now, it's interesting, as you you look through the New Testament, there are 23-ish spiritual gifts mentioned. And the reason I say ish is because we never see, no matter what passage mentions them, there's never an exhaustive list given, and and none of the gifts are, are the same, and in fact, some of the gifts kind of seem to overlap with each other, and it's a little ambiguous. And I think this is probably on purpose, Because I think we can get too carried away with this whole idea of spiritual gifts. Naming exactly which ones we have and putting these kind of tight definitions and boundaries on them. And we just don't see that exemplified in in the New Testament. What we do know is that God has called each of us to love. He's called each of us to serve other people. He's called us to, to use the gifts we have. But oftentimes, he'll mention a gift that we're all called to do. He tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Whether or not you have the gift of evangelism, some people are, are really, really gifted in that area. He calls us all to preach the gospel. There's the gift of generosity and giving, but you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we're all called to be generous as believers. So we don't want to get too hung up on which gifts and how many gifts, and, and I, w- I want you to look around you right now. Go ahead and, and do that. Look around you. Look and see the nice people. Um, most people that you just looked at have no idea what their spiritual gifts are, right? And that's Okay that's okay. We don't have to stress out about, well, which gifts are mine, and and am I using it correctly? That's not the heart of what God's called us to. Verses one and two say, surrender yourself to him. Just start serving somewhere, and he'll make the rest obvious. What a major on the majors, but Paul's point here is that God's given all gifts. We're all a key, vital part of the body of Christ, whether or not we see all of it in its reality or not. Not. And so whatever gifts God's given you, he says use them humbly and use them for the benefit of other people. Do not be a spiritual hoarder. You've been given to give it away. And then he gives us a few examples. First example he talks about is Prophecy. It says, if prophecy, and again, this isn't an exhaustive list, the word prophecy means to speak publicly or speak before. The heart of it is to proclaim God's truth before other people. We often associate it with kind of like future telling. And while the Old Testament prophets did some of that, the primary emphasis is on proclaiming the word of God. The root word here for prophecy means to cause to shine. So in 1 John 1, it's this really beautiful picture where we take the word of God and we make it clear and we make it lovely to others. And prophets are gifted to do that specifically he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, that could mean a couple different things, but for this morning, all I want to say is this. The word proportion means a standard or rule. What is our standard or rule when it comes to truth? It's the word of God. So if you ever hear a word and somebody tells you it's a prophecy from God, we every single time line it up with the word of God. And if what they said doesn't line up with the word of God, you know which one to believe. And if you're somebody who feels like it's been impressed on your heart to speak a word to somebody, you better make sure that lines up with the truth that we do know, the authority that we do have in Scripture. A lot more because of you be said about that, but I don't want to get any more emails. I already said the LeBron James thing, so let's just move on. Uh, verse 7, if service in our serving... There's the gift of service. Now, this is a word we get, the, the word diakonos or deacon in, in Acts 6 is talking about a servant. That's what deacon means It's a servant. And the first time we see this expressed is in Acts 6 when there's this group of people who take this meal ministry on to the poor so that the elders can focus on teaching and on, on, on praying for the people. And what's really cool, I, we've seen this in our own church uh, this last year uh, with a similar meal ministry that I think there's a parallel to. On Wednesday nights, uh, we have uh, from 545 to 630 this, this meal, um, and it's been an amazing thing to see servants in our church, uh, Linda Hansen, Teresa Manhart, uh, some others, they've been kind of the primary leaders, and to see God giving them this gift of making delicious food for your pastor's tummy. Amen. Hey, that's right. I love Robbie. We, 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 we use this so that we free up our teachers to be able to not have to make a meal for their children that night and to be able to simply come and fellowship, eat a meal, and then go teach or go learn in our Wednesday night classes. And it's this beautiful gift that they're using to serve one another through making food to the glory of God. It's a part, a vital part, a vital, vital part of the body of Christ. Now there's the one who teaches. This, this gift of teaching is not so much passing on information. It's something deeper than that. This this teaching refers to, the guiding principle here is that we are called to teach people, not material. When you look at the Jewish concept of teaching and this uh, rabbi-discipleship relationship that they had, we look at Jesus and his disciples when he walked this world for three years uh, with those men. When we look at Paul and his relationship with Timothy, this is something deeper than just like a a Sunday morning sermon or, or something where I'm giving you information. You can get that on the internet. Teaching is something deeper, and it primarily involves a, a, a relationship. Now, one of the ways that you'd most commonly see teaching is up here from the pulpit. But there are many men and women in our church who use their gift of teaching in the obscurity of Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings over across in Sunshine Park. And a couple of people, is, I want to just kind of flesh out what this looks like for us, and they'll all resent me for putting their pictures up on the screen, but I don't care because I have the clicker, right? So the first one I wanted to mention is April Kidder. Uh, April's one who's been faithfully serving in our youth and children's ministries for years. And April has this, like, nearly scary level of joy and enthusiasm. Like, you talk to her and you can't, it, it is infectious, her love for Jesus and others. And she's a gifted teacher and communicator, but again, it goes deeper than just material. I mean, she loves probably the most difficult demographic in our church, the junior high boys. And you know what she does? It's not just that she teaches them on Wednesday nights. She's showing up at their sporting events throughout the week. She knows their birthdays. She loves them as people. That's the kind of relationship that's going to last for eternity. The gift of teaching. I believe April has it and uses it for the benefit of others. The one who exhorts. The gift of exhortation. Um, this is means spoken expressions of concern, care, or comfort from alongside of it means to encourage or strengthen to come alongside the, the brokenhearted, the, the weary. And I think the first woman that comes to my mind when I think of this and, and her amazing ability to listen to others is Maggie Peterson who, who helps uh, head up our prayer chain here at the church and, and praying for other people. And this is an incredible gift that she's been given. Maggie will listen to, for hours to people who are walking through the valley on the phone, face to face. And she has this incredible ability that God has given her to listen like when I'm telling her something in my life, a story, something I'm going through, it's like she cares more about it than I do. Like it's an amazing ability to empathize. And when she writes a prayer chain letter, this isn't just information about someone who's sick or hurting. These are little sermonettes. I, I've thought about ripping off some of them for my sermons. It's amazing. God's given her the gift of, of encouraging and strengthening other people in a way that most of us don't see week to week, but it's a vital part of our body. Next gift, the one who contributes in generosity. This is, this is talking about giving, financially in particular. And this word generosity means sing, sincere or pure. It's a single motivation. So not somebody who's doing it for shady reasons. A hypocrite, someone who's double-minded, it says, but someone that's giving it with sincere motives. Now, this goes beyond just a, a, a regular tithe or offering. This is somebody who has a natural tendency, and maybe it's just a heart for generosity. Maybe it is someone who has more to give with. But I wanted to point out the richest person in our church and the one who week to week gives the most money. It is, no, of course I wouldn't do that, come on. That would be mean, and I don't even know. But if I do find out, I will definitely be friends with them. Um, There are those in our church who who are very well off. There are those in our church who are not. And this is the amazing thing. The gift of generosity doesn't mean how much you net every year. It's the kind of heart that God has given you and I see people in our church who both have much and have little who have a generous heart to give, have a gift to, they see a need, and they're the first people to rush in there and say, I want to give this away. And some of the most generous people are the ones who have the least amount to give. It's incredible to watch God uh, work as we love each other through, through gifts like that. Uh, the one who leads, leads with, with zeal. This is the gift of leadership. The word lead here means to stand before a group. And, and we see people, you know, I, I am paid staff, so I'm given, you know, 40, 50 hours a week to set aside. I don't have a full-time job. Then there are those who lead in our church who who are what we call lay leadership. And they're laying on top of their full-time job and their commitment to their family and other things going on, this leadership. And and one guy that stands out to me as an amazing example of this is Alan Clinton. He's one who's been leading a home group faithfully, consistently uh, for, I mean, we're going into like decades now, not just years. And the way that he loves faithfully, he has a heart for eldering, in fact, he uses the word eldering. You look up in the dictionary, that's not a, that's not a word, right? It's the squ- red squiggly lines on the Microsoft Word document. But he exhibits a heart to lead, to shepherd the flock, and what that means to do uh, as, as with his heart. Now, the last one here is the one who does acts of mercy with, with cheerfulness, it says. Now, these acts of mercy are physical acts of compassion is what it's speaking of. So it might be uh, relieving someone who is sick or, or um, marginalized in, in some way and it says to do this with cheerfulness, so this isn't begrudging, this isn't with a sour face, um, this is not a martyr's complex. And, and one guy that, that definitely comes to mind when I think of someone who shows acts of mercy is Al Kidder, that's, that's April's father. And Al is one um, who will always, every year we talk about Kairos, the ministry in Wildwood, he is one of the ones, the first ones to, to press into that ministry, and to be there in the prison. Uh, also, at the hospital, he, he volunteers there, and I'll tell you what, if there's someone sick or hurting in our church, Al has already showed up, already prayed for them. I do, I said, Al, you're making me look bad, dude. You're making me looking to slow your roll. No, uh, we each have gifts and abilities. and The point is, whatever you have a passion for, whatever you have an inclination toward, whatever you might have be specifically gifted in, use that humbly for the benefit of others, for the benefit of, of the body. Now, you might be saying, Man, I'm new here, or I, I, I don't know. I have no idea what my spiritual gift is. I don't know how to use it. I don't even know where I'd start with that. Maybe you've been in the church for years and don't know, or maybe you're relatively new as a Christian and you don't know. And so one practical step that I want to give us to take this week is on February 11th, we're going to start a group called Welcome Home Group. And we're going to be having it over at the youth center. it be six to eight. There'll be a meal, some time together. And there are a couple things that we're trying to do with this. First of all, it's give us space to invite people into community to bring us out of just the Sunday morning attendance into something deeper and richer, and I think more beautiful that God has intended for us to live life with each other as believers. And in this process, it will be, be an eight-week journey, and over those eight weeks, we'll talk about what is God's vision for our church, that we believe He's, what direction is He heading us in? What are our beliefs as a church? Um, theologically, where do we stand on some things? Uh, we'll talk about the structure of our church, just kind of mechanically, how does it work? And then one of the things we want to emphasize toward the end of it is how do we use, what, what are spiritual gifts How do we use those for other people? Um, What are our natural talents and and abilities, and how can we use those for the benefit of the body? And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about how do we connect into the the larger thing that's going on here. How do we use what God has given us individually for the benefit of of others? And so I want to invite you to consider that as we step into community to worship and serve um, together. But the heart of this is is don't be a LeBron, right? Right? When you're a LeBron, you're sad, right? You may have all the gifts in the world, but if you're standing alone, you're going to be a miserable person. What we're called to is to be a Golden State Warrior. We're called to be a part of a team, something bigger than ourselves, to use our gifts for the benefit of of others. And one day we all want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But when God says that to us, he's going to say, were you faithful with what I gave you? Parable of the talents. He didn't give everybody the same amount of talents. He's given us different relationships. He's given us different abilities and passions and and gifts. He says, what I gave you, did you use that for my glory? Or did you hoard it for yourself? So if you're a teacher, man, teach other people about Jesus. If you're a servant, serve the love and faithfulness through which Christ served us. And remember, remember, this life of worship that we're called to, it's first a consecration to Christ, that we set ourselves apart to him. And the person who has surrendered to the Lord in verses one and two, what naturally follows in your life is what we see here today in verses three through eight. A consecration to Christ leads to a commitment to Christians, to Christians. If we love him, we will love others and use our gifts accordingly. But again, you might say, man, I don't know my gifts. I don't even know where to start. Here's what I would invite you into. Just start serving somewhere. It's a walk of faith. We don't sit there on the bed and wait till he gives us this desire and kind of this vision from heaven and oh, I'm a generous person and then I go out and give. In motion, just start serving somewhere. Get a plug. There's a, many, a lot of different ways to get plugged in. If you don't know, come talk to me. I got lots of ways we could use you. I mean, let you serve your, get, with your gifts. <laughs> start serving somewhere and in, in prayerfully trust that God will lead you and guide you. He's got a plan for your life. We can trust him with that. But the last note I want to end on is, in this process, we need to focus on the giver and not the gifts. This is not about looking at ourselves, looking at what gifts we have or don't have, or trying to get caught up with that. The heart of the believer is one that has their eyes on Jesus, not themselves. And as we place our eyes on the giver, the gifts will all fall into place. He'll take care of the details, don't worry about that. There's a hymn that was actually um, given to us when I was graduating from Bible school, and it stuck with me ever since. It says this: "Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. It used to be the blessing I was chasing. That should He give me stuff? But now I'm learning how to just want the One that gives those those blessings. Once it was the feeling, and now it is the word. The word I was chasing emotions, but now I want to stand on truth. Once His gifts I wanted, now the giver alone." He gives me good things, but you can have all of that. All I want is him. He's the one that satisfies my heart. Once I sought healing, now himself alone. My prayer is that God would make that our heart, to seek the giver, and then he'll give us the gifts, and we'll love each other and reflect the heart of the giver. Father God, we thank you that you are a giver. We thank you you're a generous God who did not hoard Jesus but gave him freely to us, and, and through giving him us, to us, we, you have saved us from death. You've given us a right relationship with you. And now with that spirit in us, you teach us today that you've given us these amazing gifts. That, that each of us, as, as those who are in this room today are, are members of the body, who have placed their faith in Jesus, that, that we have these, these gifts that you've given us, not to possess, but to express through us for the sake of other people. So God, I just pray as as we move forward, and there might be some in this room today that are just totally lost as to how to serve and where to go, where, where even to start, Lord, that you would just give them the courage to first surrender to you as king, as their God, as their savior, and then that you would open their eyes in wisdom and clarity and show them the places and spaces that you have for them to serve and to love others. Just make that abundantly clear. But God, above all, we want to keep our eyes on the giver and not the gifts this is your body. That you're, this is the church that you're building. You're going to complete what you started. We can trust you with the details. We just want to surrender our lives to you and then, and then have the mindset of how can we humbly use the gifts you've given us to love other people. I want you to do that through us, Father, that the world would know that you have sent us into it by the way we love each other and serve one another in the beautiful, gracious name of Jesus. You are a great God. It's you alone that we praise. It's in his beautiful name that we do so. Amen.